Hello, my name is Marzena Farana-Sherlock and I would love to welcome you to episode number 10 of Just Stories podcast. Today I will be sitting with Alistair McDougall in the Amisfield World Garden in Haddington, East Lothian. Alistair has been working in the garden for over four years, however, as long as he can remember, he has loved spending his time outside. He was involved in community gardens in Perth and Glasgow. Alistair not only loves to be outside, but also enjoys the social aspect of communal gardening. Today, we will talk about the history of the garden, Alistair's involvement and how the garden impacts the community spirit. Hi Alistair, how are you today? Can you tell me something about yourself and your involvement in community gardens in general? I'm doing fine. I work at the garden. I'm the paid employee. At the moment we employ someone else as well. We've got funding to employ him for six months and we are the only two paid members of staff at the garden at the moment. All the other people in the garden are volunteers. My role is volunteer coordinator in the garden so My job is basically to organise all the tasks for the volunteers that come to use the garden. My involvement with community gardening is, I suppose I've been doing it for probably for over a decade anyway, maybe closer to 15 years. You know, I've been involved in various different respects. So the first form of community gardening that I was involved in, I volunteer myself. And then I quite enjoyed doing it, so I thought, oh, maybe I should try and get paid to do this if I can. <laughs> so, you know, I studied horticulture and then eventually got a job doing kind of maintenance work. Whilst I was doing the maintenance work, you know, I was involved with um, some community gardening projects. There's a group called Fife Diet, who I don't think are on the go anymore. Do things like go around schools and teach them about growing vegetables and build raised beds and things like that. And then the last job I had, so after I did that, the last job I had was the Walled Garden in Perth, which works with people with mental health problems doing therapeutic gardening. Then I got the job here and I've been here for about four and a half years now. That's how I've been involved with community gardening. How did it start? Where did the interest come from to be involved with community gardens? So I was living through in Glasgow and I was working, you know, in in kitchens, doing like chefing. But I didn't think it was something that I would do forever. I liked working outside and I'd done a bit of outdoor work before and I'd done a bit of like simple maintenance work. And I thought, you know, I enjoy working outside, so why don't I start volunteering and doing some outdoor work? So that was partly it. And then the other thing was it was, um, I thought the project seemed quite good. You know, I've always quite liked the social side of it and the people side of it. This project in Glasgow at the time, it was working on an allotment with asylum seekers and refugees and we'd grow stuff on the allotment and it would be quite good fun as well. Yeah, and it was, it was good. I really enjoyed doing that. Can't quite explain it. It makes me feel better when I spend at least part of each day outside You know, I have worked in jobs before, for example, where I've spent all day inside and I think it definitely makes me feel better if I can go outside and work outside. You know, and I'm really lucky now because I get to work outside for the majority of the day. Yeah, and I suppose it's just that thing about you get to see the seasons progress, which is quite satisfying, and you get to be around some amazing plants as well and see how they mature and see how they change over the seasons as well. You get to see wildlife too and I guess that kind of inspires wonder in in your imagination and this outdoor space is really peaceful and a lot of garden spaces are really peaceful so that's that's a nice thing too, to be in a peaceful place. And then I suppose 
hopefully you're doing things as well that are going to like encourage the wildlife too. You know, you might plant certain plants which are going to act as habitats for the wildlife and that's ultimately really important to support ecosystems and in the end ourselves. Did you see how it affects the community? What does it bring to people? What do you think did it give to people growing their own vegetables? Was it that you were growing vegetables that people then could use? We'd grow vegetables and then any of the people that were working on the project could take away the vegetables and use them and then you would have days where everyone would cook a dish say with some of the produce from the allotment as well so that is one of the benefits of it for people and then another benefit would be you know I think a lot of people got a lot out of it because they were outside they had an open space and it was like a relaxed friendly environment for folk and you'd see people kind of yeah just feel quite relaxed when they were there and sometimes over time you'd see someone who who might have come in and are not feeling great but then like after a few months you'd really see an improvement in their well-being. This space is beautiful. It's really big. Before we get into the space, you said that you like different plants and wildlife. Over the years that you've done that work, what are your favorite plants and do you have any particular memory of helping the wildlife to flourish? It's quite difficult to say like what a favorite plant would be. You know, there are things that I really like and some of them are quite plain, I suppose, like not necessarily plain, but quite commonplace. So things like silver birches, you know, are really light. We've got a few of those in, in the garden here. They can just look amazing when you get a forest of like silver birches and quite often you, you get that. I think after a, they're some of the first trees to come in, I think once trees start to grow in an area. So sometimes you can be wandering about in the countryside in a bit of like in some wild country and then you stumble across like a, a silver birch forest and that's it can be really amazing you know and especially if it's got a kind of kind of meadow underneath with wild flowers and and grasses i don't think i've got i couldn't like narrow it down to a favorite plant but you know something like that's pretty amazing and then there are other plants which are more exotic which i really like there's lobelia tupa springs to mind we don't actually have any in the garden, it'd be nice to grow some. It's kind of semi-tender, so it doesn't always survive Scottish winters very well, but it's like bright kind of red flower, you know, I guess towards darkish red. The flowers have like one plain asymmetry, you know, a bit like a pea flower or something. They don't really look like native to Scotland plants, you know, they look quite exotic. They're quite amazing too. Other plants, loads of great flowers in here too. Things like eryngiums are pretty amazing. So we're looking over at diagonal beds over here and we grow eryngiums in them in the, the summertime and they've just got quite amazing foliage, which is almost like translucent blue. Looks kind of amazing in the summertime when the, the sun hits it. Pretty soon, you know, a lot of the plants are going to, to look quite amazing. When spring arrives, you get that kind of really vivid green. When you get to the summertime, it kind of fades slightly, but that vivid green in spring. We've got a larch in the garden too, and I really like that when it comes out, because it's just the little green pricks when it starts to come out. They look quite good. We've got a lot of apple trees in the garden, so like they'll be coming out with quite an impressive green quite soon, and then they'll be in blossom, which will look quite impressive.
And I've heard that apples from this garden are absolutely amazing. <laughs> that the taste is fantastic. I haven't tried, but I've... Try, we'll, you'll have to get some, yeah. We'll, you'll have to come back when it's like the autumn time and get some. Yeah, we've got loads of different varieties of apples in here. I don't know how many different varieties we've got. We've got loads because we've got hundreds of apple trees. We've got a Scottish heritage variety orchard. I mean, I really like apples. I think all of them taste good. There's a range of flavours too, so some of them are more sour tart flavour and some of them are more are sweeter you know and some of them store better than others too sometimes you have to be quick to enjoy them <laughs> but or you need to prepare them so you can then over winter use them for apple pies yeah, exactly yeah preserve them in some way or boil them down with sugar and then freeze them and use them in crumbles later on or whatever i wanted to ask you about history of world gardens in general how did they start i would like to find out more about it as well so what i'm going to tell you now is just like speculation <laughs> really if 80 percent of what i say is correct then that's probably quite good you know, as far as I understand, they're like generally like associated with big houses and big estates. Someone that was rich, who was probably like the landowner of the area, would build a big house on the land, and then they would often build a walled garden, and that was functional and like utilitarian because it would like provide food for the house. But I'd imagine it was also a bit of a status symbols too. I would think it would have cost quite a lot of money to build and maintain. So this garden here had thirty-five full-time gardeners working on it at some point. I mean, that still would have cost, like, a lot of money, but it would have been a time when, like, paid labour was, like, pretty cheap as well. They would have grown food in the gardens and that would have gone to the kitchen in the big house and then they would have cooked stuff with that and then also they would have often had these gardens as a kind of leisure space to go and sit and enjoy the space. And I suppose, uh, you know, as the British Empire expanded and stuff like that, there would have been a lot more plants getting imported from different parts of the world. So you would have had a lot more plants getting introduced into the gardens. I would imagine more exotic plants and trees as well. I think they would have had arboretums in the past too and seeing what survived and seeing what didn't. And yeah, I guess there would have been a lot of trial and error and some things just wouldn't have coped with the Scottish climate. This one was built in 1783 and there was quite a lot still getting built after that quite a lot before that this one as you mentioned it's late 18th century it's also one of the largest world garden in scotland isn't it we think it might be the largest continuous walled garden in scotland you know as in like the walls totally complete and there's like not a break in it or anything like that I guess the other thing is there could be some that are hidden away that are bigger that <laughs> we've not heard about. So it's like it's eight acres, so it's a big space. The architecture is quite interesting, especially around the corners of the gardens. Yeah, they're quite interesting. I guess you'd call them rotundas in each corner. They look a bit like turrets now because they've lost their domed roofs. And then they've got like porticos out the front with columns, classical architecture. They're quite an impressive feature. I think the one in the southeastern corner, I think that was converted into a duke at some point. That's that one over there. They would have used the poo from the birds for like fertilizer and they would have collected the eggs to eat, maybe. Apparently this, can you see over the top of the wall over there? Yeah. Can you see that other building? like over the top of the wall. Yeah, it looks like a tower. It looks like a tower. Apparently that was a ducat, a dove house, you know. So if you go up close to that, it's actually a huge structure. And then the one in the north, 
western corner has got a like fireplace in it that suggests that someone was sitting out there with the fire in there my theory is it would probably be the people that were in the the house that would have been in that section and then probably the workers were at the other side of the wall on the north side because there's quite a lot of foundations of old buildings on like the north wall the back end of that the north facing side of the south facing wall if that makes sense the most shady part but there was also a boiler house there which would have heated the greenhouse is such as the foundations that exist for that now but they were heated greenhouses so the boiler house was on that side of the wall as well I think partly as well it probably was just for like the wow factor people came in and they looked quite impressive and it's a bit of a demonstration of wealth too, probably. It's like got this feature. How did the garden change over years? It was built by the Weems family who have like Gosford House. They still have that, you know. They built a big house associated with this garden, which is no more. They built that and they finished Amosfield House first. But they'd already started building work on Gosford House as far as I understand. So then they moved temporarily into the big house, the Weems family, into Amosfield House. And then once Gosford House was built, they moved. They were the original owners of the garden pre-World War One, like Amosfield Park and Amosfield House were like, I think they were like gifted to the, the council, I guess, or the government. You know, Amosfield Park was used to like train up various regiments and they would have used the space inside the garden as well a little bit. I think in the 1920s it was bought over by a builder's merchant, the house. Was that, or was that the 1950s? At some point it was bought over by a builder's merchant. He dismantled the house and then used it for various different building projects around Haddington. So like the Vert Hospital in Haddington, which I think was a maternity ward, which is now flats. He built a high school, local high schools with it as well, or one of the East Lothian high schools with the stone and also a golf clubhouse, I think, as well. During World War II, it was also used. That's what I'm trying to remember if it was, you know, at some point as well, it was used as a market garden. And I think that might have been after World War II. So maybe it was dismantled after World War II as well, when it was being used as a market garden inside here. During World War II, you know, again, I think Amosfield Park was used to, like, train various troops and stuff, and house prisoners of war as well, and, like, people fleeing various parts of Europe. So refugees, I suppose, as well. I don't think any of the accommodation was actually set up inside the garden. I think it was more more like Amosfield Park. The photos I've seen are, like, kind of entrance to the golf course. I think it was, like, used as a small holding at some point people would have like grown vegetables and reared some like animals as well at some point in the in the garden and the recent history because at some point the garden hasn't been used by the public or by anybody am i right by saying yeah, that yeah, yeah, so that's right. yeah, the, yeah you're totally right the very recent history the council had ownership for it for like many years and then they planted it up as a tree nursery just a space where you plant like young trees and then allow them to mature a bit and then when they got to like a size that you wanted them and a size that they were still easy to plant then you would you know lift them up and like plant them out but I think what happened was they started importing a lot of their trees or they probably had other sources and other nurseries as well that they were using you know it got quite neglected before they started developing inside the garden it was just like really thick with trees and they were all quite from the pictures I've seen tightly planted together because it was a nursery you know typically you would plant the trees very closely together so now basically we rent the land from the council and we've got the lease for like another 90 years or so anyway once the trust took over so the Amosfield Preservation Trust you know that started in 1999 
they started off just kind of like securing the structures. So there's like a summer house structure through the forest over there, making sure it was kind of safe and stuff. And then in 2006, they started trying to develop the land inside the garden. And like I was saying, because it had been planted up as a nursery and it was so thick with like vegetation and trees, there was a huge amount of work to do. There's been a massive amount of work, you know, that's gone in. It's quite hard to imagine as well because now the space is so open and so peaceful that it's actually hard to imagine to have that forest of trees that grown together so closely. few of the old trees are left, like the trees that look more mature in the garden, that look like they're over 15 years old, are like some of the older trees, but we've planted a lot of new trees as well. It will be interesting to see what the place looks like in like 100 years, because like you say, it's quite open just now, but it'll probably look a lot more like big trees, you know, there'll be, there'll be quite a few more big trees scattered about the garden, which will really change the look of it. And what's developed here since you've been here? We've done quite a lot. I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> Maybe if I work backwards, that's the easiest thing. So at the moment we're developing like a potager garden in the middle of the garden. So there's kind of like a, a big roundabout in the middle of the garden, I suppose. Like uh, we're going to develop a potager garden and that. So that's under development. A potager garden, it's a mixture of like ornamentals and vegetables and quite often ornamental vegetables as well so vegetables that look quite impressive so things like chard has quite nice coloured stem and like lush leaves you know and then typically you would plant in quite a lot of annuals in there typically in a potager garden so we'll, we'll have a few annuals and we'll have a few kind of herbaceous perennials as well flowers and I guess typically too you would have some sort of like parterre box hedging we'll have a bit of box in there too that's one of the next things we're developing and something we're developing at the moment as well is also up at the west wall we've planted up one half of the bed up there it's a big you know it's a huge big bed that extends 200 meters basically so we planted up 100 meters of that planted up as triangles we're trying to make it fairly low maintenance that bed so we planted it up with like ground cover and shrubs you know in triangles the ground cover at the front the shrubs at the back then we're also developing the meadow a little bit just now we're actually building a mound there and then we're also digging out a pond in there we've just laid the hedge so we did that this winter we laid the hedge at the back that's a way of developing our hedge quite quickly to make it really like thick from the base so it's just a method of doing that and it's also you were asking about way you know i don't think i answered the question earlier but you're asking about ways to, to encourage wildlife in the garden so that's a way to encourage wildlife in the garden because you'll have a, a really dense hedge from the base can act as a good habitat for various like insects and bugs and like small mammals and things one of the important things will be to like plant up more trees alongside the section that we've laid to really encourage the wildlife you want a kind of wide base the meadow in general we're trying to develop that a bit more to like introduce more flowers give a bit more color throughout the year we're trying to have a spring flowering section an early summer flowering section and a summer flowering section see how that goes yeah hopefully it works out would you hope to have beehives here at some point yeah that would be great you know that would be really good occasionally you'll get folk that are really keen to do it and they'll come in and we have had a few meetings with folk who seem quite keen but then we've not heard anything more about it i think the important thing is finding someone who's got like expertise in it and is prepared to maintain them because it is quite a lot of work and the other thing you don't want to do is be spreading lots of disease to like different bee colonies i think that can happen sometimes if you don't entirely know what you're doing then you might just be like spreading diseases and stuff This is Just Stories Podcast. I'm Marzana Farana-Sherlock and I meet with people to find out about stories and places that are part of their history.
Today I'm visiting one of the largest walled gardens in Scotland. Following my conversations with Alistair, I take a bit of history and Amisfield dates from the late 18th century and it is a community garden managed by the Amisfield Preservation Trust and a large band of volunteers. I also found out that walled gardens were a feature of many houses and castles throughout Britain, but none so numerous as in Scotland. The harsher climate, the depredation of deer, rabbits and a largely poor population meant most Scottish lairds protected their kitchen crops with walls and locked gates. For centuries, most large country houses had a walled kitchen garden. They were highly productive places, supplying food, herbs and flowers for the family, staff and guests of the big house. The high walls provided protection from predators and the elements and also created a microclimate within. In the second part of our conversation, Alistair will tell us about some of the Amisfield Gardens developments. We built a sound garden last year, Japanese style garden. So we've got like a, an akadinda instrument in there, which is kind of like a, a marimba, I suppose, or like a xylophone. That's really good fun to play on. Yeah, the idea for that came basically how we come up with design ideas is, you know, as a group, we'll sit down with all the volunteers and just ask them as a group, like, what areas of the garden are people really keen to develop? And whatever area is, like, the most popular to develop, that's the area that we develop next. That's been a great, great success, I think. People seem to really enjoy it and kids and adults, you know. <laughs> it's got a solar powered fountain in there too, you know, which doesn't always run in the winter time because we don't get enough sunshine. But recently it, I've been hearing it tinkle away and it's like quite a pleasant sound as well. Any other developments that would be a success from the community point of view? I mean, I would say it's all it's all been a success, <laughs> but it's like, but yeah, like I'm trying to think what things have I seen that the community have been really in, enjoying. We've just built a kind of like arbor shelter at the back. You know, I've seen a lot of people sitting out on. It almost looks like you could have an outdoor bar in it, I think. And maybe post-COVID, we'll get a chance to do that. And also the winter garden, you know, there's been quite a lot of development in the winter garden. That's been really successful. It looks really nice in the winter time when there's not a lot of other colour in the garden. Nice flowers that are out and there's a lot of interesting coloured stems in there and evergreen foliage and interesting foliage. We built a dry stone wall bench, which is kind of curved round. That's really popular as well, a lot of people sit out in that. And I suppose where we're sitting just now, a lot of people sit out here. We're sitting on a decking which overlooks the garden. On a really sunny day it can be a really nice place to sit because you kind of have a good view of the garden and, and it's a bit of a sun trap. 
The space is absolutely amazing and it's been done by volunteers. So what would you say are the highlights when and how important do you think it is for the community in Huntington or East Lothian in general? It's got a lot of value to the community, you know. I've definitely noticed um, more visitors coming over the course of the, the five years since I've been here. I think a lot of that's just like word of mouth. That speaks volumes, I think. If people are recommending it to other people, there's a sign on the A199 now and stuff, so that people will see that when they're driving past and that'll attract people too. We're part of Visit Scotland and stuff, that attracts people. People that are visiting saying that they think the, the space is great and they, it's great for the community. and. For somebody who doesn't see, how would you describe what an average visitor can do here? Yes, there's lots of things. There's like, um, you can just come in and like enjoy the space. It's really tranquil and peaceful. I suppose, you know, you were like, you were talking about the sound garden earlier. So, you know, that's got the, the instrument and stuff in it, the Akadinda, which, seem, you know, it seems to be really popular with kids, you know. So I've definitely heard some parents say, oh, yeah, like I can't get my kid away from the... <laughs> from the instrument, you know. Quite a fun thing for folk to do. You see a lot of kids playing about in the maze too. We've got willow structures as well, like tunnel and like a kind of willow igloo thing, which again is pretty fun for kids to play with. And they seem to like running up the mound as well. <laughs> We've got another mound beside our other pond. If you're interested in plants, we sell plants too. Before COVID, I was running quite a lot of workshops as well. That's always something to look out for. And hopefully we'll start doing that again pretty soon. I think probably this summer we can start, all going well, we can start doing that in the summer and then start running other workshops too, you know. So so I would run some workshops and then we'd get other people in, you know, like, for example, florists or people that are involved with crafts, you know, to run workshops. Just a space to come in, walk around and get some exercise or to start volunteering if you want to, you know. You can be as skilled as you want or as unskilled as you want. If someone wants to be here, come along and get involved. And then if they liked it, they would keep on coming in, basically. I really enjoyed the space and peace that Amisfield Garden in Haddington offers. I am hugely grateful to Alistair for taking time out of his day to talk about the garden, especially now when there is a lot of work to be done around. I hope you enjoyed learning about the place and the gardening itself. This was the 10th episode of Just Stories Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can tune in to Just Stories Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean platform. See you in two weeks.